...possible for intelligence gathering abroad. Nicholas Elliott arranged to meet Van at Ascot, and, over drinks, mentioned that he thought he might like to join the intelligence service. Sir Robert Vansittart smiled and replied, I am relieved you have asked me for something so easy. So, that was that, Elliot wrote many years later. The old boy's recruitment network had worked perfectly. Nicholas Elliot was not obviously cut out to be a spy. His academic record was undistinguished. He knew little about the complexities of international politics, let alone the dexterous and dangerous game being played by MI6 in the run-up to war. Indeed, he knew nothing whatsoever about espionage, but he thought spying sounded exciting and important and exclusive. Elliot was self-confident as only a well-bred, well-heeled young Etonian, newly graduated from Cambridge University, with all the right social connections, can be. He was born to rule, though he would never have expressed that belief so indelicately, and membership in the most selective club in Britain seemed like a good place to start doing so. The Elliots were part of the backbone of the Empire. For generations they had furnished military officers, senior clerics, lawyers and colonial administrators who ensured that Britain continued to rule the waves, and much of the globe in between. One of Nicholas Elliot's grandfathers had been the Lieutenant Governor of Bengal, the other a senior judge. Like many powerful English families, the Elliots were also notable for their eccentricity. Nicholas's great-uncle Edgar famously took a bet with another Indian Army officer that he could smoke his height in cheroots every day for three months, then smoked himself to death in two. Great-aunt Blanche was said to have been crossed in love at the age of twenty-six, and thereafter took to her bed, where she remained for the next fifty years. Aunt Nancy firmly believed that Catholics were not fit to own pets, since they did not believe animals had souls. The family also displayed a profound but frequently fatal fascination with mountain climbing. Nicholas's uncle, the Reverend Julius Elliot, fell off the Matterhorn in 1869, shortly after meeting Gustave Flaubert, who declared him the epitome of the English gentleman. Eccentricity is one of those English traits that look like frailty, but mask a concealed strength, individuality disguised as oddity. Towering over Nicholas's childhood was his father, Claude a man of immovable Victorian principles and ferocious prejudices. Claude loathed music, which gave him indigestion, despised all forms of heating as effete, and believed that when dealing with foreigners the best plan was to shout at them in English. Before becoming headmaster of Eton, Claude Elliot had taught history at Cambridge University, despite an ingrained distrust of academics and an aversion to intellectual conversation. The long university vacations gave him plenty of time for mountain climbing. He might have become the most celebrated climber of his generation, but for a kneecap broken by a fall in the Lake District, which prevented him from joining Mallory's Everest expedition. A dominating figure physically and psychologically, Claude was nicknamed the Emperor by the boys at Eton. Nicholas regarded his father with awed reverence. In return, Claude alternately ignored or teased his only child, believing, like many fathers of his time and class, that displaying affection would make his son soft, and quite possibly homosexual. Nicholas grew up convinced that Claude was highly embarrassed by my very existence. His mother avoided all intimate topics of conversation, according to her only son, including God, disease, and below the waist. The young Elliot was therefore brought up by a succession of nannies, and then shunted off to Durnford School in Dorset, 
a place with a tradition of brutality extreme even by the standards of British prep schools. Every morning the boys were made to plunge naked into an unheated pool for the pleasure of the headmaster, whose wife liked to read improving literature out loud in the evenings with her legs stretched out over two small boys, while a third tickled the soles of her feet. There was no fresh fruit, no toilets with doors, no restraint on bullying, and no possibility of escape. Today, such an institution would be illegal. In 1925, it was considered character-forming. Elliot left his prep school with the conviction that nothing as unpleasant could ever recur, an ingrained contempt for authority and a hardy sense of humour. Eton seemed like a paradise after the sheer hell of Durnford, and having his father as headmaster posed no particular problem for Nicholas, since Claude continued to pretend he wasn't there. Highly intelligent, cheerful, and lazy, the young Elliot did just enough work to get by.